We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Yahoo and Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. I'm John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig on the Thursday show. We are getting into week 14 of the uh, NFL action here. Mario, how's it going? Pretty good. Uh, Dallas is heading to Chicago. I, I don't know. I might. We might talk about that tomorrow, I guess. But today we've, we've got to go into the, the non-Thursday part of the slate, I guess. Yeah, and that game... Uh, I shake my head at it. I mean, it's one of those classic games that coming into the season, we would have thought this was just a great Thursday night game between, you know, two ascending teams that are going to be challenging for NFC supremacy. Not so much. Uh, that's, uh, you know. Well, technically, <laughs> Dallas has a chance to make the playoffs. So Dallas is uh, proving that there's a flaw in the way that the NFL does their playoff system. Yeah, it's the just get rid of the divisions. I guess that that NFC is NFC East should be uh, like suspended for a year. The idea of a, them having a higher seed than the 49ers just based on where they play is just. I mean, that in and of itself is ridiculous. So 
Yeah, uh, it'll be it'll be funny if some uh, like fourteen and two team from the NFC West has to go to Dallas in the wild card round and, and loses there. Uh, that that would be the funniest outcome, I think. And maybe Dallas getting to the Super Bowl and then losing. That's probably the funniest way this could all go. And Jason Garrett still gets fired. Yeah, uh, Dallas still ends up rebuilding. Like that would be the best slash funniest way for it to go. And I'm optimistic. All right, so hopefully that all comes. So they to roll. Fruition. They roll Thursday. You guys won't. You'll already know this by the time you're listening. Exactly. Exactly. So let's get into the Sunday slate. Uh, we're going to run this down in order of over unders here. So I want to start out with one of the best games of the weekend, if not the best game. Honestly, we got the Patriots playing host to the Kansas City Chiefs. Patriots three-point favorites at home uh, against the Chiefs team that, you know, looked pretty solid last week, you know, got it done against the Raiders. The Patriots obviously coming off a another loss here. This is their second loss of the season. They're 10-2. and two. People continue to act like the sky is falling around them, and there, there are reasons for believe that this Patriots team can turn it around and can still be an extremely competitive team come January. And there's also reason to believe that there's just too much missing from like the cupboard here as far as what a Super Bowl contender really looks like to where the you know just having Belichick and Brady might not be enough this time around. Yeah, I'm at once not counting them out at all, but I also am a little bit I, I, th- I see these weaknesses, or at least I perceive these weaknesses that I didn't back in the first month of the year, and finally, after three weeks in a row of predicting them getting upset, they finally did against Houston, and it kind of happened the way that I thought it might, which is that, and this is something that usually will work fine, but against Houston, I don't know if you want to do that press man coverage stuff that they do so much, because it's just hard to run with those three receivers, and they kind of got burned for it. Uh, Kenny Stills eventually got to him. So that was the kind of thing that I wondered, like, well, what happens if you go against this Patriots defense with actually loaded receivers? Like, do their corners look so dominant then? And the answer was, well, if they're on the road and they're going against a quarterback as good as Deshaun Watson and the receivers are this particularly good, yes, you can beat them. And if you get a lead on them, Tom Brady might not be able to catch back up. But obviously with the defense as good as it is and when they, especially when they have a home game like this, they're less likely to be just exposed that way and they're probably going to keep the game script more viable for Brady and if the script stays viable and he can excuse me still do uh you know the balanced offense that takes its time underneath and in the intermediate as opposed to scoring quickly then they can be fine but I think Houston showed that if you do get like an eight point lead on them they might just kind of sink immediately. And I think if you were someone that just looked merely at the at the box score and looked at just the quarter-by-quarter quarter scoring, someone might point to the fact that the Patriots made this competitive towards the end, but like I didn't feel like that was a meaningful thing. I think that said more about Houston not being able to close and maybe taking their foot off the gas more so than uh, Brady still having it to the point where he can bring you back from a multi-score deficit late. Yeah, maybe they would have won if it was a six-quarter game. I don't think they really would have. I, I agree with you that it's more like once the game was uncompetitive, Houston stopped, especially with a coach like Bill O'Brien, you would worry about this, like just just making it more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, if it was somebody like, <clears throat> I don't know, if, like if it was, especially if it was a team that could run even a little bit, and I just think Carlos Hyde's a joke, so I, I would expect them to, to immediately hit a wall if they if they had to just run out the clock. Uh, but going against the Chiefs in any case and going against them in New England, I would not expect uh, that sort of uh, game script at all. Like, I think I want to pick the Chiefs to win, but it's not because I think that it 
suits uh, that it matches up favorably it's more uh I, I just think i just think that as much as brady is not toast there still is a big difference between obviously this is obviously true but there's a big difference between him and mahomes and i'm not convinced that in its current state the patriots offense is just going to roll over the chiefs uh, i just think if it's close then the quarterback difference matters and i just don't really see how the patriots get a lead uh that that protects them from mahomes's inevitable catching up and i almost wonder if it might even be a bit of a blessing that the chiefs might not have their whole backfield there i know darwin thompson can probably play and LaShawn mccoy is fine but if they have to air it out that much more i almost similar to the texans kind of like their chances of okay. calling that bluff of the man coverage uh, especially if they can just block a little bit for Mahomes, and he manages pressure so well, it's like we we forget that as much as he isn't like a Ben Roethlisberger who breaks a lot of tackles, he evades a lot. Yeah, he doesn't and, get sacked. Yeah, and he he just he makes sick throws under pressure that other quarterbacks can't. So as long as his team basically doesn't fail him, and unless he Mahomes doesn't have an unusually bad game by his standards. The baseline outcomes for this game strike me as like slightly favoring Kansas City, and maybe that's wrong, but I just think that uh, Stephon Gilmore can't cover Tyreek Hill. I don't think it, it, I don't think it matters whether McCourty is in there necessarily, but if he's out, that probably helps a little bit. Uh, he he may be being out last week put put uh, the Patriots in a little bit tougher of a position going against a three receiver rotation that good, but it's a similar problem if you go against the Chiefs, where it's you might as well think of Hill and kelsey is the wide receiver 1a 1b and then you're down to sammy Watkins as the wide receiver three hardman could be a problem for those corners so i don't know i just i think that if if the chiefs have to throw the ball that much more because the running backs being shorthanded i don't really mind that approach as long as they make sure to take shots deep because if you let the patriots keep their eyes on the quarterback with that press like yeah then they can really start to just you know whale on you right but, and i you know to your point there that that's a condition that i feel like the chiefs are uniquely suited to go against like they are loaded with speed in such a and a downfield thrower in the homes in such a way that they aren't gonna you know kind of turtle on themselves and be this you know nip and tuck type of offense they are going to continue to take deep shots i feel like so maybe that that um does end up neutralizing that press man that you were talking about yeah and if i'm the chiefs i'm hoping the patriots do that stuff because I don't know. It's just like even Gilmore, even as great as he is, it's like he's more ideally built for a receiver like Hopkins. No one's really built to stop Tyreek Hill, but if you're a guy who relies on a press, you just you're not as good of a corner today, right? Exactly. And the speed that that Hill has is just ridiculous. So I guess when it comes to the fantasy aspect of this game, you're starting your normal guys. Do you start Darwin Thompson if you picked him up this week? Uh not really looking to do it but if you have to somebody in your league is probably in worse shape uh, even maybe among the playoff eligible but i don't know what to take for granted there and they signed spencer ware which is really weird and i'm a spencer ware truther so if he gets on the field i'm i'm worried about mccoy too losing reps because if if ware is healthy he's been so automatic in kansas city it never really got much attention but he put up the exact same numbers on a per touch basis as kareem hunt did so obviously he's not the same player kareem hunt almost certainly is better but if the results are the same who cares uh and the results haven't really been there for mccoy darwin got the 11 carries or whatever last week but he wasn't exactly explosive in the box score so 
that might be more up for grabs than people are anticipating, but not that I know anything about what kind of shape Ware might be in. Uh, so yeah, if you got to go with Thompson, it's like you could do worse. I wouldn't really look for an excuse to start him necessarily. Uh, on the Patriots side, I feel like it's got to be another big game in a row for James White, or at least if it isn't, then the Chiefs are getting stomped somehow, which I just can't really see happening because it's I don't know if we'll see Damian Harris anytime soon, but last week against the Texans, it was like Michelle and Burke had played, and then when they went into heavy catch-up, they both stopped playing. It was yep. just white the whole game, and I almost wonder if that might give the, the Patriots reason to go to him early in this one, like once they saw you know for about six weeks now this offense kind of sinking over consistently over that stretch james white's usage kind of declining with it the only time they did anything against the texans was when they were they had him out on the field so maybe they take that approach from snap one in this game and and try to instead save michelle for running out the clock rather than uh getting a lead because he's just not that great in my opinion and as much as the chiefs defense is vulnerable to his running it's especially vulnerable to white and his uh, running pass catching combo. So right, if, if he doesn't have backers, yeah. So if he doesn't have a big game, I'm just uh, utterly baffled by this one. Okay, all right. So that that's a really important point there when it comes to James White. It feels like this offense, the the tree is so narrowed because it's pretty clear at this point that Brady doesn't really have the trust in the Jacoby Myers, the Philip Dorsets of the world. It's just Edelman, White, or you know throw it away yeah and i don't know how much he can throw down field generally so uh i, I think this he winds up really funnily for like 15 yards and run, he, yeah a couple really run up he threw it. it deep a couple times in that game but it looked like he couldn't do it like he was like he was looked like me trying to do yeah, it like, right, i have to do a wild. i have to do a big wind up and mm-hmm. it sucks and it's way off the target <laughs> that i meant to throw it to and my arms hurt now uh but i think uh i really think there might be like they might be losing a little bit in the in uh new england because it's like that muhammad sanu trade in hindsight was really desperate and as much as we always give them the benefit of the doubt that was a bad trade like they needed someone to do what josh gordon was supposed to do make the field bigger so that brady can you know dice them up underneath if everybody's in the box it's not easy to do that west coast offense stuff and if you can't make them pay for pulling up then it's just this is a a perpetual red zone offense scenario and it's harder to score in the red zone generally uh like it obviously being closer is better but all of a sudden your efficiency per play falls off a cliff and you have to find a way to actually overpower take advantage of small space and And they're not doing that i don't see the speed and it's like muhammad sanu they traded for to do something and he hasn't provided it and uh, even if he's healthy he's not providing it so uh, he's playing outside right receiver edelman's in the slot the left side's door set they don't have improvement options and so they're just stuck with what they have. And I, I think uh, that second round pick for Sanu showed that they had some theory of how to fix it and they were wrong. And now they just can't do anything about it. Yeah. So and that, that was a second round pick that I believe they gave up. They shouldn't have cut Gordon. Having Gordon on that team would have made running their offense easier because at least teams run with him. No one's going to run with Dorsett, especially if Brady stops throwing to that part of the field. Yeah. Very strange uh, set of cir- or set of movements there from the Patriots as far as its receiving core is concerned and obviously when guys like Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers even like aren't really providing much of anything else it just makes it all like a more compounded issue uh shall we move on to yeah yeah to this uh let's move on to the Titans going up against the Raiders over under in that one set at 47 and a half Titans 
kind of, you know, on a bit of a roll here of late. I think that Ryan Tannehill has established himself as a, a startable quarterback in 12, maybe even or 14, maybe 12 uh, team leagues. Uh, Derek Carr not playing well of late. Obviously, uh, the Raiders are at home here, but they are uh, uh, home underdogs. Yeah, I don't know what to make of either of these teams. And as much as Derek Carr has been really bad lately, I feel like this has been going this way his whole career almost where we're like, okay, finally, we knew this guy sucks. We knew he was finally going to be over. And then he has like four or five decent games like he did in, uh, I don't know, as of like three weeks ago. Yeah. And you thought, well, maybe he's kind of settling into the Gruden scheme. Maybe it's going to work. And then I don't know what adjustments the Jets and uh, what was the other one? The Jets and the Chiefs made. Yes. But he just looks like trash, like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league lately. So on the one hand, I don't trust him. Like anybody else, I don't trust him. But on the other hand, I also have to believe the last two weeks have been the worst of him. And like he has previously in his career, he'll kind of squirm his way back to some sort of thing that you might mistake the, for competence. The, twinkly, the Twinkie in a nuclear fallout type of guy. Uh, how does that one go? Well, Twinkies uh, are nuclear fallout proof. They're, oh, they so can survive and still be Twinkies even now in the. So it's like the McDonald's food and yeah. the Twinkies and the cockroaches inherit the earth. Uh, Derek and Carr might be there somewhere with his eyeliner on. Yes. Okay. So yeah, he's he's done it before. Maybe he does it again. But on the other hand, this Tennessee defense is at the very least competent. It might be above average, and. Uh, this is a double-edged sword for Tennessee, but they make the game smaller. And so for the volume reason, for the volume aspect, you can't really expect much from Carr. Certainly we can't expect much, much as far as efficiency. But with that said, I wouldn't be that shocked if he had like a 22 of 28 game for 240 yards and one touchdown or two touchdowns and one interception, making the game at least competitive and maybe even get a win but if they get a win it's probably because tennessee brought it upon themselves by making the sample size of the game so small like in a game like this tennessee ought to pick up their tempo and try to actually hurt the raiders defense have they been that slow tempo under since making the change to Tannehill? well yeah you can only be so up tempo when you run as much as they do especially so uh you run out the clock faster and you can get to the line faster to offset it, but generally not much. And they generally don't run him any plays like 24, 25 pass attempts is the model that they've been using. That's and when true. you do that, you can, it can work and it's a good way to hide a bad quarterback, but it also brings the risk upon yourself where if something fluky, like a turnover or two turnovers that you wouldn't project happen, then all of a sudden there's less time for you to make up for this aberration. And so just the, the ball bouncing the wrong way hurts you more when you go zero tempo because there's less game to catch back up. Yeah, exactly. So you can, you know, that's the difference, you know, from a college perspective. That's why Army won all those games last year and then they, yes. they, they lose all these games this year because the ball bounces a different way. and It, it raises yeah. the, the luck element in a mm -hmm. game. And when you're the better team, which the Titans are, you don't need to do that. You can raise the sample because then luck lessens in, the, in the determining the, the result of the sample. I think these two, these two teams in terms of like 1 to 53 are pretty even overall, I would say, um, as far as roster strength is concerned. Love Derrick Henry, love Josh Jacobs for this week. Both guys like top 10. I don't really know what to do about the pass catchers from this for, for this 
this one from a fantasy perspective. I think Darren Waller is still like a top 10 uh, tight end type of guy. But outside of that, as much as I like A.J. Brown, not sure if I'm starting him this week or not. It'd have to be a deeper league. Uh, Corey Davis, probably not. And then Tyrell Williams, also a little bit tougher sell right now. I don't know what's going on with that Oakland passing game. But like you said, maybe it bounces back. This Tyrell's week. good, but Carr is just basically coward can't can't read the field won't throw to him so uh with tennessee it's just there's too many good guys and not enough pass attempts to go around yeah like you said the the new model that they've been using under Tannehill, 25 or less passing attempts there so i could see this one as a result maybe going under uh if there's you know that much in terms of clock just being uh, run off there uh with the sheer volume of, of run plays and everything like that um let's move on over to atlanta going up against carolina Atlanta three-point favorites at home. Atlanta obviously pulled off a pretty resounding beatdown of of the Panthers pretty recently up in Carolina. Carolina obviously just canned Ron Rivera. What happens here? Well, the spread went from one and a half to three as the over-under dropped by a point. So uh, some assemblage of of betting interests are, are thinking that it's bad for Carolina's ability to compete. I would sooner bet no change than any, but I, I really have no good sense of where that's heading. I don't know what I don't know what the politics of the Panthers are such to, to call it whether, you know, they're gonna use this game to evaluate their younger guys and they're not gonna do quite the same play calling as before. But then I feel like there's a totally equal possibility that they are basically the same team and uh, you know, maybe they actually try to keep Christian McCaffrey chasing some sort of yards from scrimmage record. I don't really know. Uh, I don't really think that they're going to change, especially on offense. I know that North Turner kind of like technically stepped down or aside to assistant to head coach so his son could take over the play calling, but I don't know. I I just, I don't think it's going to change that much. And the usage in Carolina, especially with, I think Greg Olson might miss this game and Ian Thomas is good, so he could just as easily do everything also my best ball portfolio smiles when you mention ian thomas yeah he's a good player i think and uh he was productive last year at least when they gave him a shot so maybe he is even an upgrade on olsen no way to really know but in any case this usage in this offense is pretty reliable it's it's dj Moore first of all in the passing game and well 1a and 1b to mccaffrey in the passing game and mccaffrey of course just always reliably uh gets like the first and second uh, rep in that offense uh curtis samuel does a little bit but it, it just doesn't suit him to have kyle allen as the quarterback because allen can't throw to where curtis samuel gets open dj moore doesn't really need to get open and he's he's for he's a shallower downfield in any case so it's easier to hit him and that target volume is going to stay there so it's like we've basically had this offense where moore and mccaffrey were obvious in their utility samuel pops up but disappears from time to time i don't see that changing here no, I, I don't really do. I don't really either. And, you know, last week for them to falter against the Redskins is just absolutely wild. And I think worthy of probably getting rid of Rivera at that point. And yeah, I don't think that the change in, in coaching staff necessarily means that this offense looks dramatically different uh, heading into this week. So I think it's kind of check status when it comes to pretty much everybody else, uh, when it uh, all the main players there on the Panthers. Going up against the Falcons, I mean, this is a defense that got beat up a little bit by uh, by the saints last week but they, they've had a little bit of extra rest by virtue of that one uh being on thanksgiving night um do you think that there's a way that this panthers offense finds some success against the falcons even in atlanta in a way that they didn't the first time around i don't have any problem with uh, throwing a desperation an investment wager behind kyle allen here because i still don't really buy the atlanta defense turning any kind of corner i think it's just 
getting Desmond Trufant back probably helped a little bit. And the rest was just kind of a, you know, anything can happen in six quarters kind of thing. And Kyle Allen, I think, can produce against this team. Being in the dome helps. But yeah, he's never going to be a downfield passer. And you saw how bad it can get with him. Uh, The question with Allen is it's basically like, can he go four quarters without playing poorly? And I think he's shown us that he can. It's just that on the other hand, against Washington, he showed you that he can also go two quarters with almost perfect numbers. I remember in the first half of that game, uh, there were a bunch of people. Well, not I shouldn't say a bunch. It's not like it was a month ago. But there were people going like, oh, Kyle Allen. Uh, maybe you wrote him off too soon. And I saw that. Then, then uh, <laughs> They're out you know, there. Before they know you could, they are. Before you could click submit, <laughs> uh, all of a sudden he's got uh, 20 yards and like four turnovers in the second half. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's just profoundly limited. And sometimes you can hide it. It's like, you know, it's guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick, too. It's like you can't say that he's incapable of having a good game here. It's just there's so much that can go wrong, too. Yeah. But uh, when it comes to Allen, he's not quite as cool and reckless as Fitzpatrick. Maybe it's the lack of. Beer. Right. I don't know. Uh, with that said, he cannot take down DJ Moore. Like uh, there's always 12 targets going there. So unless Kyle Allen throws for like less than 150 yards then he can't really hurt more who even against Washington catching only half of his targets for only like six yards a target when you're getting 12 plus it just doesn't really matter that much exactly so it should work out well for him uh what's going on with Julio Jones here uh he's been limited in practice this week so hopefully that means it was apparently very close call for Thanksgiving so with uh nine days ten days or whatever you'd think you could take it for granted that he'll be playing so I'll just assume he will be uh Matt Ryan did really well against this team three weeks ago or whenever it was and then he did crap against uh the, the buccaneers and what was the oh the saints Saint, so yeah uh, the saints are good trade him basically yeah i just it's like at once i also i agree with that i would definitely put the, the blame mostly on the line but uh, that might be true and yet going against the panthers their pass rush is pretty good especially if they give brian burns any snaps they've been giving him like 15 snaps a game the idiots so if he plays 40 snaps that that could be like two sacks with him right there and uh the buccaneers have a pretty good pass rush so that can be kind of excused it's just carolina grades similarly so i don't know why i would be optimistic there it's it's kind of similar to kyle allen although matt ryan's much better and i think he has better receivers to throw to where it's like we can't just assume he's going to do what he did last week or what he did at any other point this year all you can really do is look at the range of outcomes and, and just hope you're right as to which half you lean toward in this particular game. So uh, they played well against the Panthers the, lot, the last time, but uh, I, I'm pretty worried about Ryan. And I think with how dysfunctional that Atlanta offense has been all year, you can at least call him fairly a volume dependent quarterback. Like I think his not this year anyway, will he be genuinely productive and functional like he's going to need those pass attempts to go over 40 usually well uh maybe maybe it turns out that way if the, if the run game also can't get going this week so maybe maybe things will uh, i think it sets up nice for yeah. Devonte freeman you know knock on wood there's a lot that can go wrong here but uh yeah i think i think carolina's run defense is pretty convincingly uh shot okay all right well that that's an important detail there uh let's move on over to the bucks going up against the colts here uh bucks three-point favorites um this is a weird weird game yeah i don't really like it there's really not much else to to have like the initial uh impression of this game this is like the bucks and the Colts. what i think you can like it a little bit for fantasy purposes just because uh, i don't think as much as i don't think that the tampa bay pass defense is truly as bad as we've kind of assumed 
they still have the usage funnel so even if a quarterback doesn't th- put up big explosive numbers even if he has a an interception or two it's still hard to do poorly as a quarterback against tampa bay as long as your team is scoring as few as like 20 points and if even if i think jacoby Brissett isn't is a below average starting quarterback which he definitely is and he's particularly can't really throw downfield uh it would be nice if hilton was available i don't know what we can take for granted there that looks like a game time call kind of thing or a late week call in any case but if hilton's available and pascal can run and paris campbell can run then you know what I, I think Brissett can be pretty good here not in real life terms but uh, i can imagine him having to throw the ball more than they usually do because i don't think they're going to be able to run on tampa bay even a little bit i think they'll have to yeah. just not even because of the game script i think they'll just have to bail on it because it's just we're sick of having second and 11 every single time we run it yeah that tampa run defense you know like you said even if like the pass defense uh is a little bit shaky and it gets tested a lot more the bucks run defense is you know legitimately uh nasty and then it's a warm weather game too this is true and it's uh we're in tampa bay here uh what does this look like for the bucks side in terms of its offense uh i can't really talk about bruce arians that guy's just so annoying to me but i don't know how you can advise someone on that backfield it's like if you have peyton barber if you have ronald jones you can take the ride i don't know what anyone can tell you as far as actually bankable expectations it's all on the table and it's all off the table with no notice so it's it's a you can go with that i I don't i don't really have anything to go on other than bruce arians expressing contempt for ronald jones on one missed assignment and i don't know if if bruce really thought it through i don't know if he was trying to get the reporters from asking questions and just trying to shoo them away but it's like does he mean to say that peyton barber hasn't missed a block this year or does he mean to say that the basis of his running back rotation is just determined by the most recent one to miss a block. Like, because I don't think he means to say Barber has never missed a block and yet he's willing to completely go away from Jones because he missed one. So it's like, are you keeping an actual tally here? Are you just kind of like a, just an old fogey who gets pissed off on like an arbitrary basis when you think, Oh, this young guy fumbled. It's because he doesn't focus. I knew it. And it's like Barber's, a little older and isn't good so you know he takes it seriously yeah. <laughs> it's like just just uh, it's crazy to me um but anyway i don't know what you can bank on with that backfield at receiver of course it's you know godwin and evans matchups totally fine for them uh even though kenny moore is a good slot corner i don't think he's a matchup problem for godwin even a little bit so uh mike evans kind of running against these sort of cover two corners that's interesting to me i wonder if he can maybe split the corner and the safety a few times on a downfield pass. So I like Evans and Godwin, but I can't tell if I ever think differently than that. Like it's just the, yeah. they need to use them and no one is good enough to, to reliably project well against two of the best receivers in the league. Yeah. Those guys are automatic. They're unbelievable. What a tandem uh, they are. Uh, let's move on over to the Rams going up against the Seahawks. Rams showed a pulse. I wrote them off completely after the Ravens dismantled them. I thought that that, that was just going to leave a broken team in its wake. But, you know, they got right against the Cardinals. You can't say anything different than that. Um, but it'll be tested this week uh, going up against the Seahawks. They are going to be at home. They played the Seahawks very close in Seattle earlier this season. That was one of the better Thursday night games that we've been uh, treated to this season here. But Seahawks... Sh- shorter week to coming off that tough one and they are going to be on the road here but i still probably lean in their direction if i'm picking a side on this one what do you think yeah i definitely would take seattle and i think you can both 
give the Rams the credit for last week or whatever while also still having a coherent logic system that determines but golf still sucks and I don't think he's any good he had an okay game against the Seahawks Seahawks have some defensive questions that are especially at corner that are pretty big like the right corner Trey Flowers (laughs) oh yeah that was just I guess somebody blew their coverage at least a couple guys probably but uh, it's like Shaquille Griffin is great at the left corner spot, the right side of the offense. That's usually where Robert Woods runs from. So uh, Seattle might run zones that that get Woods away from Griffin on a crossing route, slant, something like that. He won't be shadowed by Griffin, but it has to be noted he will run the majority of his routes against Griffin uh, aligned with him. So maybe Woods can beat him, but I kind of feel like it's uh it's kind of chasing points to to get in dfs at least too high of hopes for woods because that game last week was insane where golf oh, yeah. golf threw like nine of his first 12 passes at robert woods or something like that so that's another th- reason to bank on or to expect golf to regress pretty pretty hard because that's that's just like a defense failing when when one guy is just open that many times in a row and the quarterback isn't even looking at the rest of the field it's like there's just a fatal flaw and until you address it any nfl quarterback will take advantage of this every play yeah i mean that's like a the function of like a very like one-dimensional like high school offense or where they only have like one viable receiver type of thing yeah totally so i think that uh at the very least griffin is a is an insane insanely uh, big contrast to what woods saw last week and then go. they couldn't use cooks apparently so i don't know what the deal is with that like if it was just a first game back sort of thing or if they're going to play josh reynolds a similar number well actually reynolds only played 29 snaps and cooks played 61 and just was never targeted so uh apparently Goff can't throw to him whatever I don't, I don't know what to make of that but cooks tends to line up against the side where trey flowers is and flowers can't run with him but almost no one can and, and Goff has not been able to to do anything useful with that so who cares uh cup has a really good matchup he should be fine uh Goff has kind of dragged him down a little bit lately but i think cup kind of has the robert woods sort of usage in this game here oh that'd be that'd be very nice for the for the cup owners and then you know looking at the backfield here todd Gurley, outside of that ravens game has been really productive of late and he's been getting a pretty decent amount of usage as well yeah he's running well they're not really getting him going as a pass catcher and i don't know Maybe maybe Goff kind of is you know figuring out one thing at a time, and maybe he can kind of get back to uh, involving Gurley after figuring out his his uh, receivers last week. I don't really know, but it seems to me that more so the Rams haven't utilized Gurley the same way as a pass catcher. So he should run fine, and you know as far as that goes, he might be whatever still a top ten sort of play this week at running back. I can't really see the upside of the 20 carry six catch sort of girly though. I think if he gets to 20 carries, he's probably capped at like three targets or something like that. So there's, there's definitely utility there. And if the Rams win, it's probably because Gurley had a good or very good game. I think it's just that it needs to be multiple rushing touchdowns. Basically did it against the Seahawks earlier this year. Right. Yeah. So it's like, we know we can do it. It's just, I I think uh, it has to go that particular way. Like I don't, I don't think that if he comes out flat on the ground that he'll make up for, with it for uh make up for it with like 80 receiving yards like he might have two years ago right yeah that that is uh, a part of his game that, that doesn't really exist the same way that it did even even a year ago and uh last week for example and this was more 
a function of how well or more descriptive of how well the Rams offense was running last week where Todd Gurley got six red zone touches. I mean, that just goes to show that they were basically living in the red zone for in Arizona last week. And I don't think that they will enjoy that same amount of, you know, being able to move the ball with ease this week. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if Clowney and uh, Jaron Reed and Ezekiel Ansa will all be healthy, but if they are, that could be a problem for golf because uh, that pass rush was looking pretty lively for a second there in Seattle uh, on Seattle side. I think you can expect a bigger game from Tyler Lockett, but I realize I'm saying exactly nothing given that he didn't catch a pass in the last game. But the efficiency will not waver for more than three or four targets at a time. And if the Rams do make this competitive, it seems like they would need to give him, I don't know, at least five targets. And I feel like there's upside for more. So I think Lockett bounces back. Do you have a a further explanation on what the heck happened with with Lockett last week? Because, you know, on the other side, and ESPN was you know, pretty blunt and honest with what was happening to Xavier Rhodes. It's like he's been targeted four times, has given up 95 yards and a touchdown and also had a 15-yard pass interference penalty. So was it just a, a, vert, a, a matter of this Seattle offense not wanting to match up Lockett on him for any, you know, just to keep him in his general, like, stated, cemented assignment? or like? Well, yeah, I don't really know. I think it, Lockett is one of those guys who, outside of a couple games this year, doesn't generally go over six or so targets in a game. So it's just... They don't throw the ball that much, and when they do, he's he's not a Julio type who who draws like two targets every ten snaps or whatever. So he can just kind of have a bad bounce and and have it like wipe out an entire game. The reason I'm I'm more encouraged with this one is I I just think the script will necessitate his usage more. Like the the Rams are definitely up tempo, and if the Rams make this competitive, then Seattle will have to more or less match its pace. They won't necessarily throw the ball a lot when they do it, but they'll have to try to score quickly quicker than they would normally and if they have to do that then it's like you know at least seven times out of ten it's Lockett who they have to go to so that he already had a zero last week makes me just feel you know the variance probability just makes me feel very reassured with him and there's those other things like you're talking about I mean if, if Xavier Rhodes is getting beat like a drum why would you uh wait for Lockett and his perhaps a little longer developing downfield route when you can just throw this eight yard slant to Metcalf that turns into 16 yards every time because uh, Lockett you know even though he he is the slot guy which is generally more underneath than the outside spots like Metcalf is a huge target who presents a viable throwing lane really quickly on a play and when you have pass rushers like Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin maybe that sort of thing plays into it more like maybe Russell Wilson looks quicker to Metcalf than he does uh than not quicker than Lockett but maybe if the pass rush picks up he generally starts to look a little quicker to Metcalf just because he knows he's huge he can he can get his hands on this pass if I need to get rid of it it. in a second yeah it's just (laughs) I I I love uh when people freak out about that stuff it's like oh yeah dude uh that's the 21 year old receiver who everybody wrote off after falling to the late second round who's had a really uh, excellent rookie season fumbled once or like even me got that a, f- a few weeks ago when he fumbled and something they're like oh what a rookie loser like, f- players fumble sometimes just because you were like waiting for them to fail once as rookies and they finally did doesn't mean uh, anything at all but uh, any case yeah i like uh, I-, I don't know if they're gonna have metcalf shadowed by ramsey but uh, i think lockett just by variance alone gets going and i also think that it's uh like Mackenzie Alexander is a lot harder to throw on than Xavier Rhodes and Trey Wayne. So with the pass rush being quick with Minnesota, that 
might have been basically the explanation. And I don't think the pass rush will be as Donald aside. I don't think the the Rams will have that sort of specific edge rush concern. And, and it's easier to account for a guy inside than outside usually. Yeah, I, th- I think you, you sum that up re- really well there, especially with, you know, the, the difference between the what the Rams bring in the front seven versus uh, the Vikings there. And then we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on this here. But what, what happens with this Seattle backfield? What do you make of that? Well, they used Penny as almost the pass catcher, it seemed like, last week. I don't know if that was an accident because Carson seemed to do fine as the pass catcher. So I'm not really banking on that. I think it's just going to be kind of like 55 Carson, 45% Penny, and maybe they are interchangeable as far as functions go because they were using Penny a lot as a receiver last week, and he did pretty good with it. So would you toss Penny in your lineups this week then? Sure. I mean, not over Carson. And I don't want to say everybody who has Penny. Some people probably have good teams where they have Penny and he still isn't one of their like six best skill position guys this week. So that's fine. But if you do need to use him, yeah, why the hell not? I think he's good. I think he's better than Carson. So uh, if he gets the usage, I'm inclined to bet on him. Yeah. Yeah. He's been looking better and better as the season has worn on. Before we get to our next game, we got a message from a couple of our sponsors here. We've got a message from our friends over at Armchair Quarterback. Armchair Quarterback is a real-time game where you predict the next play during a live football broadcast. You know what the next play is going to be. Predict it and earn points. Climb the leaderboard and increase your chances to win tickets and other prizes. It's the perfect way to make watching games more exciting. We have a special league for all RotoWire subscribers, and we'll be posting the leaderboard online, and we'll be mentioning them here. This week, we're going to be playing to the Eagles-Giants game. You can also form your own league with your fantasy friends. The full schedule and game information is available at armchairquarterback.com. Armchair Quarterback, make every game bigger. And then we got a message here from our friends over at Yahoo. For sports and betting fans in the New Jersey area, this is the moment you've been waiting for. Sports betting is available today and on Yahoo Sports and the Yahoo Sports app, powered by BetMGM. Yahoo Sportsbook, powered by BetMGM, allows fans nationwide to view betting odds across a variety of sports and users of legal age to bet in the state of New Jersey can click through the odds to place the bets on BetMGM. New users 21 or older in New Jersey can make their first $10 deposit and receive $100 in free bets. Go to betmgm.com slash yahoo to get started and for full uh, offer terms and conditions. Also, Yahoo Daily Fantasy continues to launch new fantasy contests every day. Visit yahoo.com slash daily fantasy to enter an NFL, NBA, or NHL contest today all right so we just i just briefly mentioned there uh this eagles giants game let's get into that one it's coming up on monday night over under and that one 46 and a half the eagles nine and a half point favorites in that one i've been banging the drum that i, I just don't believe in the eagles but the the giants making me test that pretty hard here but i mean they the eagles did just lose to the dolphins maybe that maybe that just indicates a, a bounce back situation here that they, they, they don't lay flat two weeks in a row it's just a lot of points to be trusting with them right yeah. now. And so and this this is one of the tougher games from a side perspective to pick this week. Yeah, and as much as the Eagles suck and everything else, the way Fitzpatrick beat them is a style of play that I don't think Eli has in him. I think it would have suited Daniel Jones perfectly to play against the Eagles because he does make those uh, aggressive sideline throws, like the taking – uh, the leap of faith in the receiver even though he's not obviously wide open and throwing it up and giving him a chance to make the play and Parker made the plays because he's bigger than Ronald Darby who he was running against and uh, he didn't need to get open but the quarterback took the shot 
I don't know if Eli Manning takes that shot if the guy is Devontae Parker in that exact same situation. So I think Darius Slayton can pose similar concerns to those corners, but uh, he's not quite as big as Devontae Parker. He's only like six foot, six one, whereas Parker's uh, probably like a low six three. And uh, Darby can run. Like Slayton won't just easily run away from Darby. So don't really see the obvious way for Slayton to beat him. Uh, if Golden Tate is available, then he changes the whole complexion of the offense a great deal because he'll be the slot guy if he's there. And if he's not there, then I think Shepard becomes the slot guy again. Whereas if Tate is there, then Shepard's more so the right side, outside receiver, and Slayton a little bit more the left. So all those guys are pretty good receivers, I think. And Engram being back, that's that's a I don't even know how that fits in. Like that could be bad for Golden Tate. That could it could be Tate who gets gets uh, the bench before uh, Shepard. Maybe it's bad for Slayton. Like maybe they give uh, maybe they give Shepard more left side snaps and keep Tate in one slot and Engram split out in a in a narrow split to the right kind of thing. I don't really know, but they got a lot of pass catchers now. All of a sudden, the, the Eagles can't cover uh, anybody that well. <laughs> the opposite problem of what the Eagles have. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I think Shepard's a really good player, and if Tate's out, then I like Shepard to have a big game because if he's in the slot, then Eli can throw to him. But I generally don't trust Eli to throw outside and especially downfield. So I, I'm I'm generally thinking Tate, if he's in, gets a lot of work, and Shepard will do fine either way. But uh, if Tate is out again, and sorry, I don't know the latest on their their injury their their concussion protocol. Uh, the Tate. If if Tate is out, then then Shepard goes wild, I think, and Engram looks fine anyway. Tate did practice this week, just uh, as of Thursday. Okay, yeah. So obviously, all those guys can't produce unless Eli throws for four hundred yards, which would be hilarious. But I just doubt it. It would be it would be so funny if if he was able to do that. And you know, the the feel good pieces about Eli Manning would just be it'd be hilarious. I don't know. Uh, well, I feel like anything can happen in this game, and especially when the Eagles' defense is as uh giving uh especially in the secondary 10 and, points is a lot yeah, for the eagles it's I don't so know. much and then let's look at the eagles side of this then um you know wentz obviously has the advantage over these corners but does he have the personnel around him to take advantage of it well uh it would be big if Ertz was just closer to full health and if so he's killed me this year <laughs> well last week he kind of had the excuse i know he's still dropped the passes but i don't know it's harder to be in the appropriate rhythm with your gait and you know your hands placement it's like you have to think about those things more if you're also thinking about how like god my knee might break if i twist too much the wrong way or whatever or wait was a hamstring that he had uh so yeah i don't know if he was he was kind of thinking like oh that's tight that's tight you know like that'll distract you long enough to to screw up a a a split second kind of occurrence like a pass getting thrown to you in the end zone so i think Ertz will bounce back if he's he's practiced he's not even listed on the injury report so yeah uh Ertz is fine jeffrey is fine jeffrey i think against any of these corners is a big mismatch so i think wentz will be fine i just i just don't see why we would expect the eagles defense to to really put the clamp down in the giants offense and it not that this necessarily matters that much for this game, but Saquon Barkley did look a lot better last week than he had. That is good to know. Uh, like he was, he, lo- he at least looked like the athlete that we knew he was. Like maybe his vision will never be great, but he at least can. He he was doing the kind of stuff where you're just like, oh right, he can jump over guys and just uh, disappear when they're in front of him. 
so he, he's different than he was a few weeks ago and I don't know if that matters the Eagles run defense is good but uh, if they don't tackle well like, he can definitely run away from him if he looks the same as he did last week okay so yeah that that is a really good point on on Barkley I didn't get to catch much of that one so good to, good to hear a, a report that he's looking more like himself post ankle injury a few weeks uh, since returning uh again i think i'll i'll pick the giants to cover that one on monday night just i just don't trust the eagles with that many points but that, that's about all i have to say about the rest of that matchup let's get on to another just absolute marquee matchup here we got the jets and we got the dolphins here the dolphins obviously handed the jets uh or not their first loss of the season but the dolphins got their first one of the season against the jets a few weeks back down in miami this one going to be in new york new york five and a half point favorites in this one i can't trust the jets with that much points either i don't trust the jets either i i do think that darnold bounces back he has for whatever reason been a little bit better at home this year and i am a i am a darnold believer like i am not wavering on that one bit but it's like last week him failing against the bengals didn't surprise me because i think there's just going to be a general up and down nature to him I don't know if it will really matter that much necessarily who the opponent is, but being on the road and just kind of being in a spot where people were banking on him again, I just didn't like that that much. But I'm more optimistic about this. The the Dolphins' defense is insanely bad. Like I know they beat the Eagles, but the Dolphins' defense is still insanely bad. And if going to the home venue brings out the better part of Darnold, then I think he should cut up this defense. And I don't know what to make of Fitzpatrick. I noticed in I looked at his Yahoo splits for his career and he has really disturbingly bad numbers in uh, games below 40 degrees Hmm. and I don't know if that's just because he had that insane three game stretch with the Buccaneers where I don't know if that just like just uh, spiked the rest of his career sample in non-cold weather because it looked just like markedly better uh outside of the cold when you Uh, have a beard that good like you're supposed to perform well in the cold so he's almost like stolen beard valor well it's like he's he doesn't have a strong arm he probably doesn't have like huge i don't know i don't know if they measured hands back in that combine 40 years ago but i think that uh the weather wouldn't really suit him with wind and cold because he's, he's kind of got the pop gun arm and he likes to loft it up stuff like that but on the other hand maybe that sample was just tanked from playing as the jets starting quarterback for two years and you know a bad team i don't know uh but i, I actually like the jets five and a half i think i would take the plunge six okay. is too much but that half point maybe i can take the plunge and uh don't know what to expect of bell it's really discouraging how bad he's been lately but i think darnold more or less bounces back and i think pretty much all the jets receivers should be able to run free in this one i'm, I'm hopeful that darnold can kind of just relax here and makes like kind of find his rhythm again get some easy throws against these sub nfl corners and then let's get on to the dolphin side i know we were just talking about fitzpatrick for a minute but the graveyard perceived to be graveyard of of fantasy players down there now has you know there's been a a curse and they are up they are walking around we got Devontae Parker we got Patrick Laird we got Mike Gesicki all of them uh, fantasy relevant players now Parker I think is like a top 15 receiver the rest of the way yeah Parker's good I don't know if it matters that much if Fitzpatrick has a bad game here because as long as Fitzpatrick throws for like 150 yards it seems unlikely to me that Parker would have a bad game while Wilson and Alan Hearns did especially much. But uh, this and this is good news for Fitzpatrick. If there is any sort of vi- uh, any sort of uh, reasonable concern about the cold with him, 
Jamal Adams might be out at safety. Uh, Brian Poole appears to be out at slot corner. And Poole, I think, is a pretty big loss because he's their slot corner and he's been doing a really good job this year. He's largely responsible for that funnel to the outside receiver spots that uh, has been capitalized against the Jets, including the Dolphins earlier this year when both Parker and Preston Williams had a good game. So uh, that makes things a little easier for Albert Wilson. It's it's If there was ever a week this year to put Albert Wilson in a tournament lineup, I think it's this one because he'll be running against whoever their backup slot corner is. And whoever he is, it's going to be a big drop off from, uh, from Brian Poole, who was having a, a really solid year. But it's uh, with Adams out, with Brian Poole out, or I should say, if they are out, then this Jets secondary that already wasn't good is substantively limited quite a bit more. And maybe Fitzpatrick loses something in the cold, but maybe he doesn't lose something in the cold as fast as the Jets lose something by not having their two best defensive backs. So I think if volume, if from volume, if nothing else, especially since it's uh, it's it's pretty hard to run against the Jets. Like their run defense has been really good all year, and I wouldn't expect Gaskin to have a big game anyway. Uh, but they almost have to throw. So even if Fitzpatrick averages five point eight yards per pass, he might throw it forty times, and it might be okay in the end could yeah i mean that that lays it out well i think that yeah that this Jets secondary definitely could look a lot different if, if they are missing guys like pool and, and adams there and you know if the dolphins just sh- by sheer volume alone get get it to the air as much as we could uh project right there uh definitely sets up well for for some of those pass catchers uh interesting detail on on uh, albert wilson there as well um let's get over to uh, really, an actual really good game. Not even being sarcastic this time. We got the Saints going up against the Niners. Saints two and a half point home favorites. I think the Niners are the better team. Yeah, me too. And the Saints have a good defense. I'll give them that. So maybe being at home, maybe if they somehow get a bit of a lead, put a little pressure on Garoppolo. I think Garoppolo can kind of just fall apart if he's put in a, a rough game script but i don't know why he would find a game script that difficult against the saints if he didn't against the ravens uh in baltimore uh maybe he looked fine yeah i mean he he's he's looked okay for most of the year it's just that uh i feel like if he had to actually carry an offense he would he would just not have enough tricks to do it like he especially against a good defense and to be fair it's a lot of good quarterbacks can struggle against the saints defense which is just pretty solid uh like demario davis one of the better linebackers doesn't get much credit for it they got three guys on the defensive line who are playing really well right now if Lattimore's out there they've got at least two good corners and uh, they got they got safeties who can play so it's not easy to see how a matchup is favorable for any of those receivers and so it's not easy to see why garoppolo would have an easy go-to option but uh I, th- I think if only because i think those corners are pretty good you might get your hopes up for kittle to kind right. of show up here because he just overrules matchups so often and as long as well, don't get me wrong this pass rush could be a problem but as long as it isn't one and as long as kittle can start running those like 15 yard corner routes that tight ends never do uh he could just kind of just be that x factor it's like he's not in a category that we recognize sometimes he just transcends the situation because he's not really a receiver or a tight end he's he's both and he's also a different thing entirely i mean he was crushing it as a blocker last week i know he didn't get super involved in the passing game but the way that he the stuff that he was doing as a blocker to help spring um raheem mostert specifically like the way that their outside run game was functioning last week was 
a terrifying weapon for like you know if anyone else is watching that with the Niners on their schedule the rest of the season like you have to take heed of that because the way that they were able to to run on on Baltimore uh, even though they didn't score that many points on Baltimore I thought that in terms of just getting a defense on its heels really really impressive from them I don't know exactly if the Saints have the type of personnel that that is set up to maybe stop the outside run a little bit better yeah or or not Uh, so a little bit in the dark as far as that is concerned but if the Niners can get into that similar rhythm rhythm and then you know Mostert has track speed and they're playing on you know on a fast track down in New Orleans that could be trouble yeah definitely and uh like you're saying Kittle is a really good blocker it's funny that the horrible charlatan Doug Gottlieb saying that he's not a blocker uh, it's like <laughs> Kittle was regarded almost almost like put down as a blocking specialist in his class which was uh, before the draft which is why it was like well, wait a second. You're telling me he's a run blocking specialist, but he's also this guy who runs a four four nine or whatever, and he's, he's super athletic. It's like maybe somebody's getting something wrong here. And yeah, it turned. I I was like a Kittle fan as a prospect, and I was. I mean, no one could have foreseen him being this good. It's insane how good he is. But yeah, he's he's one of the best run. Blo- he's one of the best blocking tight ends. Like he might be the best one for all anyone knows. And then he's also I think in his own category as a receiving threat. So he's insane in matchups won't matter as long as the quarterback just puts it anywhere near him so that that's all it takes with him have no idea what to make the backfield i assume they stick with mosert since he's got the hot hand but he's shown up and disappeared before tevin coleman has disappeared and shown back up before matt breed is probably going to play so it's really dicey i don't really have any useful advice there other than i would generally rank it one mosert uh I don't know, 2A, 2B, Brita, Coleman, but that stuff has changed so many times this year already. Yeah, yeah, that's a, t- that's a tough backfield to get a read on from a fantasy perspective. You just know that the Niners are going to have production on the ground. It's just it's hard to predict from where it's coming. Uh, and then let's go to the Saints side of this. Obviously, they're going up against a Niners defense that's really, really tough. Um, how did how do, uh, the Saints uh, solve this mystery as far as this Niners defense goes? Do they just use a bunch of Taysom Hill? Would that <laughs> that'd be cool yeah I, I i it might not have been clear that i that i feel this way since i was kind of laying out all these concerns for the san francisco offense but i also think the 49ers are easily the better team and i think that saints offense could look pretty bad against this 49ers defense like i don't think drew Brees has it anymore and Kamara's great michael thomas is great and thomas should still you know if only because he'll probably get 15 targets he should be totally fine but I don't know if I expect Breeze to throw for 60 more yards than Michael Thomas has receiving in this game. And Kamara's, even in his good moments this year, I don't know how healthy he's been. I don't know if there's just some other the detail. hasn't been there. I don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know what it is either. But in any case, it's like I don't really like anybody's chances against this 49ers defense. It's like the Ravens barely got out of there and you can't run like the Ravens no one can and if you can't run like the Ravens against the 49ers sometimes you just don't do anything against the 49ers but they'll still sack you nine times uh so I think uh yeah I'd go with the 49ers but I'm imagining some kind of ugly kind of maybe more field goals than we're accustomed to 24 27 to like 17 kind of thing is what I see so I actually would pick the 49ers to cover easily I guess I'm mad that both that this game and and the one that we're about to talk about the the Ravens Bills game are both going off at one o'clock so like it'll be like a little bit competing as far as uh having to see those games I, I 
you know, honestly, we'll probably be watching more of the Ravens than than the Niners game. But I'll obviously be keeping close tabs on that Niners game. But at least we do have that Patriots Chiefs game in the afternoon window to uh, keep us going up into the Sunday night game. But let's get on to this Ravens uh, Bills game here. Ravens six point home favorites. I think the Ravens are probably the best team in football. But after the bloodbath that was last week, going up to Orchard Park and giving six points, that feels like a lot. Yeah, going to Buffalo is is kind of intimidating. Buffalo's a good, well-coached team, but I also think Buffalo the past three weeks or whatever is the best that you'll see from them, and I don't think that their baseline is particularly close to the Ravens. Part of the background here is that I still don't believe the Josh Allen stuff, and I know he's a really good runner. I know in fantasy football, his, his running ability has made him super valuable, one of the better values at quarterback this year, but... I still don't think he can throw the ball and I think he'll have to throw the ball in this game and I think the only reason he's got this three game streak that everyone's so excited about this four game streak it's like oh he has 13 touchdowns and only two interceptions Uh, don't ask us about the first six games um but yeah it's like whatever it's it's a few games like every bad quarterback almost who's had two years starting in the NFL had a few games where their respective fan bases decided like yay he's the savior we knew it and no one really remembers all these instances because they fade so quickly and they they're so disposable so that this three game sample this four game sample means exactly nothing to me uh, as far as Josh Allen goes and I just you know Baltimore or Buffalo doesn't really matter to me where they are as long as the Ravens aren't kind of going easy on this game, as long as they're not withholding some of their play calling for some other uh, matchup in the upcoming weeks. I don't think they will. I don't think they will either. And I don't know how Allen can do anything against this. Like I can imagine him running for 40 yards on eight carries, but I bet he turns it over more times than he scores in this game. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that could be it. I know for a fact at the very least that this game will look a lot different than the season opener in 2018. And I think the <laughs> I actually think the Baltimore offense could go wild on the Buffalo defense go because, on. well, they're they're good defense. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean like uh, I think they're a fraud or something. It's that I think the ways that they are good do less for you against an offense like Baltimore's. And I think I think the ways that they're vulnerable are especially ripe for getting beat by an offense like baltimore's which is to say uh well i don't know if it really matters it's always the case the the way that the ravens offense is running it's like no defense has an obvious answer for this everybody can look bad against this but the bills are a team that does like a money ball thing on defense where they use these corners who are tredavious white aside are kind of zone guys They're, they're they're good at playing press cover two, that kind of stuff but when you look especially at a guy like levi wallace this is a guy who can't run. And then you have two safeties like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, both excellent safeties as far as the scheme goes. But Poyer fell uh, to the seventh round of his draft after an All-American career at Oregon State because he runs like a four six five, and Micah Hyde, also not a speedy safety. So they work well when the pass rush makes sure you can't throw far downfield. It makes sure that you uh, have to get rid, rid of the ball before your receivers can get off those jams and show Levi Wallace for the four six guy that he is. And those safeties are so great at helping them when they need to. But if you can get that third, third and a half, fourth, second in the drop back, Marquise Brown, even if Jordan Poyer is moving over to help, he can just run past both of them. Oh, yeah. And Mark Andrews, I don't like those. Those safeties are really good, but they're also both 5'10", 195, something like that. They're, they're, they're converted cover two corners, even Hyde and Poyer. They're both former corners who are basically moved to safety because they can't run far. They can't run fast enough. So trying to cover up that already probably average at best run defense 
against the Ravens, I feel like they're going to lose some of those coverage resources. And if they do try to stop that run, if they do try to be the first team to really shut down Lamar Jackson in the run game, I think you're giving up Marquise Brown deep and Mark Andrews deep if you do. So, and the conditions for Sunday don't really play to the Bills' favor. Like this is a pretty nice looking forecast for Sunday, and in Orchard Park supposed to be like cl- partly cloudy. I guess we do. Degrees, so. I guess we got to watch the wind. Like I'm looking at this USA Today site that says 16 mile per hour, 37 uh, degrees. But yeah, the temperature shouldn't be an issue. If it's over 15 mile per hour winds, that's not great. But I also just I don't know if this if this Buffalo run defense struggled this year, why would it not get worse in this setting? And if if it does get worse, then the defense has to spend more resources trying to stop the run, and maybe they have to spend more extra resources on the run, creating new opportunities for the pass at a rate that's higher than whatever whatever degree the wind is a concern i don't really know so i'm i didn't mean to specifically predict that the ravens will blow them out but i think they cover and okay. as much as the buffalo defense will a play inspired and b play well like they are a constantly overachieving team i just don't think that Buff, uh, baltimore needs to overachieve to still just like wipe them off I don't know. okay fair enough i, I think that's that's definitely good analysis and, and yeah when it comes to the the potential weaknesses in the bills defense the ravens i think can potentially exploit those all right let's pick up the pace here we got a few more games to get to before we get out of here steelers cardinals steelers two and a half point favorites in this one how does kyler respond after an awful game last week well i don't know how much his health plays into it but they're going to rush the passer a lot if Kirk and uh, some of the other guys, Isabella, if they can run some crossing routes, get loose in the crossing routes, then they'll be open eventually. But I'm worried about the pass rush. I'm worried about his hamstring. Uh, I don't have any interest in Benny Snell in DFS. I assume he'll be kind of popular. He's good, totally good for season long. Uh, James Conner is out again. But Arizona is a lot more difficult to, th- to run on than throw on. And even though I think Duck Hodges won't be in the NFL in two years, I think he projects very well in this game. And James Washington... Uh, whoever the slot receiver is Deontay Johnson Vance McDonald's like Arizona is giving up everything to passing games so I, I think that I think Hodges will be useful uh, this week even though I think he's terrible interesting yeah that I could I could definitely see that at uh, the Cardinals passing defense I mean if, if Goff can just crush them like that then you know I think Hodges can at least put up a passable stat line for fantasy purposes there so uh, Steelers two and a half point favorites in that one uh, we got the Vikings going up against the Lions Vikings 12 and a half point favorites in this one so really really heavily favored I guess you know if the Lions are on their third string quarterback it, it makes some sense there but still it's just, a ton of points I don't it, know. it's weird to me because Blau the specific way that he played against the Bears is I think the exact kind of quarterback you want against the Vikings with Rhodes being so beatable deep uh, Trey Waynes doesn't get as much attention for it but he's not having a good year either it's like the slots where it's difficult to throw against this team and I don't know if Blau really cares about throwing to the slot so Looks like another good spot to go- for Galladay and Jones to me. Uh, maybe Blau kind of just falls back to earth and we're like, oh, no, bad Purdue quarterback. That's right. But uh, as far as the Minnesota side, as long as Daniil Hunter isn't just killing Blau after two seconds every single play, those corners suck and Blau is ready to test them. So, I don't know, g- game on, I say. I think I think we might get another uh, first half of that Thanksgiving game kind of showing from Blau here. Yeah, I uh, predicted on the radio that it would go – very poorly for the Lions offense and um, you know 
I was well, it probably will. It's like the, the Minnesota, and it's also this in was, Minnesota. This was last week. That, so I was like, oh, David Blau, like it's going to be tough for, oh, for right, Galladay right. and Jones. And then, you know, I, I like turn around from like eating food and, and see Galladay <laughs> running into the end zone. And I just like drop my fork and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was, this is a tougher spot, yeah. but it's like, I don't know, those corners are just playing so bad this year. And, and Zimmer leaves them in man coverage a lot. So I don't know. Blau's going to throw it deep. Who knows what happens after that? So I guess uh, the question on on the Vikings side of this, Dalvin Cook obviously gets injured against uh, the Seahawks with that you know kind of tough sounding shoulder uh, issue. I think you know in this spot, I think that this isn't a uh, a original take necessarily, but I think that there's a chance that the Vikings could just be like, okay, we'll just use Madison this whole game and maybe rest Dalvin Cook in a game that we know we should win well they should I don't know how they could justify not doing that or I don't know how they justify giving Cook more than eight carries and if you're not giving him more than eight carries why do you need to give him any um not that they need to scratch Cook or anything it's just that maybe put him on the bench after the first quarter once it's clear that you're going to win this game because uh, as much as I think Blau can put up some cheap numbers I don't think Detroit's going to run at all and I think that Madison can run for Minnesota. I think that uh, if Thielen's back, then him and Diggs both should be able to do a lot against a team that doesn't rush the passer. So Minnesota should just be able to move the ball. They, they should be able to treat this like a tune-up game. Like, it shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. So Arrow should be pointing up for Alexander Madison. I, of course, am having several regrets about cutting him in the stake league. Uh, let's move on over to the Chargers going up against the Jaguars. Tough game to get a read on. I, th- I think Gardner Minshew is going to be back in the fold for the Jags after the uh, the Nick Foles experiment seems to have officially failed, maybe. So we think uh, the Chargers just constantly playing in a game where it's close and they end up losing. That's just uh, the hell that they've been cast to and will continue to be as long as Phillip Rivers is there. What do you make of this game? Uh, yeah, I don't like either team. I think that they both have a lot of ways they could fail here. But the Jacksonville run defense has been bad all year. It's hard to see why Melvin Gordon and Eckler would struggle in that capacity. Meanwhile, I know Minshew, we probably have reason to believe that he's better than Foles, but he still wasn't clean last week. And I'm a little worried about this matchup just because I can imagine Hayward jamming DJ Chark enough that it's not easy to get that particular throw going. Uh, Chris Conley can give you big plays, but I don't know if you want to lean on him and dd westbrook's got some personal thing that's kept him out of practice all week i don't know if i would expect him to do anything against desmond king anyway he's a lot faster than him but i don't know if he would get deep enough in his routes before the pass rush starts getting to Minshew. and that offensive line hasn't been great there so i can imagine it being pretty ugly maybe it's basically just fournette versus gordon kind of thing uh i don't don't really see any reason to think that rivers finds an extra gear here and uh, the run is just much easier for the taking against jacksonville uh looks like mike williams is a little bit dinged up uh still you know he's the classic guy that people will point to when when they talk about regression but he's having a good year despite the the lack of touchdown production i think last week was another solid outing for him catching five of seven targets for 117 doing the mike williams type of stuff just being an absolute assassin on the deep sideline routes yeah i think he's fine here as much as bouye might follow him uh, i think that Williams has played well enough this year and he's limited in practice since Wednesday so it shouldn't be you know knock on wood the knee shouldn't be an issue uh but yeah it it, the the uh, regression people by now though are also saying like well he's got to score which is true it's almost like he has to he's he's due for roughly I don't know six and a half touchdowns on his next five catches so please uh yeah I think I think 
you can feel totally fine about playing him here there's there's if anything i'd worry more about keenan allen's matchup because i think dj hayden's pretty good but uh not worried about any of those guys it's more the quarterback more the respective offensive lines on both sides that are the limiting factors mostly unrelated but shout out to dj hayden for actually like being someone that we've mentioned on this podcast and on the radio a bunch because i've thought like he was just gonna wash out he was the guy that came out of houston he was mike mayock's uh, guy at houston this was not when he was running the raiders i just remember he was like a big dj hayden fan and then he ended up getting drafted way earlier than anyone expected and he didn't do well but uh he might have just needed to play in the slot i guess because uh yeah in, in oakland they really did not like him but look at him now he's he's uh you know someone that you have to consider uh when you're you know getting granular with your matchup so good for dj hayden this is a this isn't a DJ Hayden podcast, but um, he has the he has a stamp of approval nonetheless. Yeah, that's uh you know Keenan Allen should be fine, but it, it also wouldn't be surprising if if Hayden well he's already on pace to finish the year as the best Jacksonville corner. So uh, that's you know. a, that's tough to do. They have you know at least on paper a very good group uh, even without Ramsey. Uh, let's jump on over to the Texans versus the Broncos. Texans looking you know back to back to peak form last week was really really impressive going up against the patriots watson looked uh fantastic uh going up against the broncos team that you know they're testing things out with drew lock here texans nine point favorites for like if it was just team on team i would totally take the texans but when the bill o'brien factor is is applied here it's hard to trust the texans with that many points at the same time so yeah i don't really know what to make of this one yeah and either Either Carlos Hyde, I feel like, has a good game here, or Deshaun Watson in the Texans passing game stack is really tempting on DraftKings because uh, I was able to fit a lineup with like Watson, Chubb, Ingram, Hopkins, Fuller, Jack Doyle. Uh, they're low. They're, Watson, Hopkins, Fuller are low price stills too, probably. And I understand it's because Denver has had a really good pass defense since, especially like the first couple weeks, but they haven't been tested that much either, and. Carlos Hyde is bad so there's a good chance I think that Hyde just can't really run the ball and if so then they need to throw the ball and if if it's a strength versus a strength and one of the strengths is Deshaun Watson and the other is this defense that has Chris Harris but not really much else at corner like especially since it's at home I'll take Deshaun Watson there uh and yeah I'm pretty interested in going with a lot of those pass catchers in that game because that might just be my Carlos Hyde hate blinding my what other good reasoning I might have because uh if he has a good game against that Denver run defense Bill O'Brien will absolutely run out the clock like he he loves to run he likes a second and nine he likes a good third and seven uh yep so yeah, he he will give Carlos Hyde a disgusting number of chances to fail, and if if he does fail the way he did last week, then the passing game can go off. And uh, yeah, I, regardless of what the answer is, ultimately I have to kind of uh, test that game quite a bit. I think in DFS, what did you think of Drew Locke last week? Uh, bad numbers definitely, and I I don't think he's any good really but he at least had some life to him brandon allen did too that wasn't the issue with brandon allen but brandon allen almost won that game up in minnesota yeah the issue with brandon allen is that he has no like nfl grade physical talent whereas Locke has that at least he can run he can throw the ball far so as long as he keeps having a willingness to throw deep and take chances to cam uh, Cortland sutton then i think he, they might move the ball surprisingly well in this or at least they might have more big plays than you would expect the run defense for houston had fallen off and if Lindsay plays well then yeah maybe actually denver 
has a decent game on offense but they can't have a decent game on offense that involves lock throwing a lot like he has to be shielded a little bit and he has to make his big plays hit when the opportunity is there but with sutton it's really you know just throw it at him don't yeah man don't try to be a good quarterback just throw the ball at him he's gonna catch it yeah so uh bad corners in houston it really might work and uh yeah i'm I, I think I like the over in that game. Forty-one and a half, forty-one strikes me as a little low. Yeah, that, that is pretty low. So yeah, I think I think there could be a little bit less defense than what Vegas is implying from that line there. Uh, two more games to get to before we roll out. We got the Packers going up against the Redskins and the Browns going up against the Bengals. Let's hit the Packers first here. Packers twelve and a half point favorites against Redskins team that pulled off a surprising road win last week. And Darius Geis looking awesome. Yeah, uh, discouraging for Geist, though, is that they still gave more carries to Peterson and uh, what's-his-name Callahan. Total doofus. He's not going to get the memo. Geist is, you know, it's still worth buying him in Dynasty Leagues, even though the cat is out of the bag now. He's not going to be cheap anymore. It's still worth buying him because I think people are slow to catch on to how talented he is. He's really close to that Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley sort of talent level, and uh, people just didn't realize that, and Peter uh, Callahan is too dumb to care. So that won't be forever, though. Like He'll be fired after this year, and somebody else who's uh, at least able to recognize Geis for his talent will commit to him. But I don't know if it'll happen this week, and I don't think the script will stay viable for running anyway because uh, you like Adams, you like Rodgers, sure, but it also seems like Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, at least one of them has to have a good game here. And being in Lambeau, I, I think this gets out of hand pretty quick. Okay, yeah. Haskins is so bad. Oh, man, that's a that's a bummer. Maybe I'll hold out some some long-term hope for Haskins, but yeah, probably not this year. He might get better, but it, it's he's totally non-viable right now. He can't play. So do, does that, you know, could that mean that the Redskins just run the ball so much between Peterson and Geis, and we've talked about the Packers being pretty weak against the run overall or if there if you were to say if there's a weakness on that defense it is against the run i mean, I mean we saw it yeah they're gonna try they're gonna try to run the ball like i wouldn't be surprised if they run the ball uh you know 10 12 of their first 15 plays because it could in theory work but what they need to happen is both for uh the running game to work like it did last week and for the packers offense to fall off because even if the running game is working for washington green bay can match them and then outpace them and eventually the same result happens it's just it didn't happen quite as quickly maybe but uh they basically need rogers to have an awful game and geist and peterson to run at over five yards a carry because anything else is just like you three drives is all it takes for this game to be over yeah i just don't think that the that the redskins have have enough offensive firepower to, to keep up if the packers start moving the ball which i presume and we saw that detroit will. game even against a bad run defense their passing attack is so weak that the bad run defense might be able to to muster the spare resources to, to for two or three quarters look okay against the run and that's guys got shut down against the lions uh I, I think there's a similar risk here as much as I absolutely think Geis is the truth. Okay, that's that's an important detail there. And then let's round things out. Uh, we got the Browns and the Bengals. Browns lost to a third-string quarterback last week. I thought they were supposed to be the team that makes the run. I guess not. Their offensive tackles are just so bad, and I know that the Hubbard was hurt, so maybe that had something to do with it. But uh, it's not a specific concern against Cincinnati, but Geno Atkins is there. He can just he can go off a few times a year uh i don't know if baker mayfield's gonna play he hit his hand pretty hard on that one helmet so uh that that's why the offense fell apart and i just i want to take for granted that they can play against cincinnati i think you know chubb might be pretty chalky in dfs this week i noticed he was pretty affordable for a guy going against the bengals but 
I got to go in. Off, yeah. yeah, I got to go in. I, I know that his offensive line is also their center might be out, Cleveland's center. So maybe that's a way it can go wrong. Maybe Atkins just eats alive whoever is next. But he might have done that to Treader anyway. I think Atkins probably eats people alive every week and the Bengals still have a bad defense. So uh, I'm, I'm keeping the faith on Chubb, but I'm acknowledging that there's a lot of concerning details around Cleveland and I don't I shouldn't take anything for granted with them yeah definitely not that if there's one thing we've learned about Cleveland this year is that you can't you can't take anything for with them for granted and then on the on the Bengals side they showed a pulse offensively last week John Ross is back I don't care about anybody else but Tyler Boyd do do we think he can Tyler Boyd's good yeah this is a good matchup for him to be serious the slot coverage is not good in Cleveland like Denzel Ward Greedy Williams are a lot tougher than TJ Carey in the slot so it's a good matchup for Tyler Boyd um John Ross to be serious is probably only going to play like 20 snaps so generally don't put him in your lineup save that for week 15 but uh I still can't wait for him to be back because uh you know he he's had such bad injury luck that now i'm almost like now he's due for good luck mike williams is due for six touchdowns on his next five catches john ross is due for four full 16 game samples with no missed injuries it's coming he's going to be the frank gore of receivers i think he might have that one uh, baseball player the, the mitochondrial disorder thing so barring that he's due okay so and uh you know you're not withholding to that. It's just, uh, yeah, just a disclaimer to throw out there. But uh, lock it up as far four two two as Boyd, or I'm sorry, as Ross is concerned, and also with Mike Williams uh, catching an impossible <laughs> amount of touchdowns. But for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to this week's RotoWire NFL podcast, brought to you by Yahoo and Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.